Namaste. As part of writings of Shirobindo, today we take up um, essays, divine and human. Probably we will need to spill it into two. Hopefully not into three, because they are so beautiful. They are so wonderful. Um, you know, people often miss out on these books. Sometimes I feel because they read. Straight away, life divine, human cycle, synthesis of yoga. But both, there are two books on essays. Essays, divine and human. The other is essays in philosophy and uh, yoga. So that's a different section. So the difference is only this. Essays, as we know, are short independent pieces, which is different from books. So essays, one essay is complete by itself. Book is, there will be several essays, but all are running around a central theme. They will. They are called then chapters. So, essays, divine and human, were all written after 1910. Even essays, the other book of essays, collected works of Shirobindo, Volume 13, is also after 1910. But the difference is that these were not seen by Shirobindo before publication. So they've been published later on. Whereas the Volume 13 essays have been seen by Shirobindo. This is the main difference. But that's one way to look at it. And they've been naturally arranged uh, chronologically, and you know, short pieces, then longer pieces like that. But if you take a look at it, uh, my own kind of understanding of these essays is that they can be broadly categorized into five main groups. Two of these set of essays can really form a book in its own right. One is essays on psychology of yoga. So they are scattered here and there, but they form a bulk of essays, and it can form a book by its own right. And I'm very surprised. At least I don't know if a book like that has come. But if you combine these essays along with some other places where Shirobindo has spoken of psychology and yoga, it will be wonderful because Shirobindo says yoga is practical psychology, and what he means by this term is that basically, just as a physical scientist deals with physical forces. How they combine? How you can create new things by combining them differently? What is the law of the physical world? Same way, yoga is nothing else but psychological forces that move us. How to understand them? How to combine them? How to, you know, remove those which are harmful and dangerous to us? How to recombine them? Recombinant DNA, so recombinant, uh, you know, emotions, will. Each yoga picks up a psychological aspect and develops it. So, Gyan Yoga picks up the capacity of thought, thinking mind, of ideative mind. Bhakti Yoga picks up the emotional being, the emotions, and Karma Yoga picks up the will. Integral Yoga picks up all of them. So, basically, yoga is practical psychology in the sense we pick up strands of human psychology and the forces that move us, and take it to its ultimate possibility and acme. Like normally, emotions. You love those who you know are connected with us physically in our physical environment, connected by birth and circumstances of birth. But a yogi who turns these emotions towards the divine, it changes into a universal love for the whole creation, and even his special relations are now coming from a different angle. No more from this that you know uh, what advantage I will get or because I am you know uh, conditioned. By the circumstance of birth, so it's a different kind of love. Same way with Gyan Yoga, thinking mind pierces through the limits of reason and enters into a state where knowledge is known by identity or intuitively. Same with Yoga works and Yoga will. It starts with my desire, ends up with I do what the divine wills, or rather, the divine does what he wills through an instrument which is open and given to the divine. So, in this sense, it is psychology, and should be that great length, number of chapters, where he talks about at one place psychological of uh, psychology of yoga, then another place something else like that. Then there is a second set of writings which deal with science of consciousness, running into nearly fifty pages plus, and. They are so marvelous. When I first read them, I had read a lot of collection of on consciousness because it used to interest me. What is consciousness? So scientists normally draw a very strange distinction. There is inanimate matter, 
which is rocks, minerals. Then there is animate matter, which means living being. Then there is consciousness, which is uniquely human. That's how scientists looks looks at consciousness. So it says consciousness means man, mind, and how does it uh, suddenly emerge? So they say because of brain processes, which is so absurd and silly. It is first of all, it means that there is no consciousness below man. So animals, whatever their awareness is, you are completely denying it. They too are aware. They may be aware spontaneously by instinct, but they are aware. When they, you know, um, I was just watching that wonderful WhatsApp, a spider in a web. Uh, you know, web is to trap an insect, but one day a frog gets caught. So now the spider um, goes and tries to eat the frog, but frogs have this poisonous skin, no? So it tries to sting and doesn't like the taste. It knows it is not for it, not its meal, it's not an insect. So what does it do? It could just leave it. But after a while, the spider comes down, cuts the web, releases the frog. So the frog falls down and is alive and jumps. Is this, what is this? This is not consciousness. Similarly, you will see uh, that story of the crow who puts uh, pebbles. This is actually true. Not only that, crows are excellent psychologists. So crows will tax your patience and perseverance. They want to eat something. They have a perfect strategy. They will come, they know you are going to shoo them. They will run away. Then again they will come. After some time, you give up. And that is then when they will suddenly come pick up something and go away. And they will come in groups to completely confuse you. They are master strategists. In terms of even, you know, one can learn a lesson or two about war from them. Of course, they don't think, they don't speak, they don't have mental terms for what they are doing. But they have their own way of understanding. Even when a crow puts pebbles, which is a fact incidentally, and makes the water level come up. What else is this but intelligence? And there are a number of examples. Dogs, cats, horses, of course, we know very well. They get emotionally attached. So, just to believe that consciousness is uniquely human, or it's only the product of epiphenomena of the brain, is one way to look at it. The other is, which is the spiritual way, consciousness is primary and everything else is a product of that. So, Shubindo deals with all the possible arguments, including scientific uh, objections, evidences and he takes us to that point starts by saying there are three cosmic riddles. One is existence, second is consciousness, third is this phenomena which has come up. He says these are three cosmic riddles. How come there is something if there is nothing? People say no, at the end there is nothing. How something has come up? Then existence, we are everything exists in some measure. How existence has come into being? Consciousness. So he starts where there, takes us step by step, reveals to us, you know, how brain and etc. are instruments that consciousness is designed and devised for operations. So it can devise better instruments for better operations. Just in, in animals, the instrument is limited to the level of consciousness of the animal. So he beautifully takes us step by step and just those 50 pages, it's like really a breakthrough work till date. I am very surprised why it has remained hidden. Partly I think we all are responsible because we should bring out these aspects. Consciousness is a word which science accepts today. And if you make a compilation just from the, those 50 pages, add to it all that Shubhinder and the mother have written, it can form a proper book which can be a treatise anywhere in the world. So this is another aspect of essays on consciousness. Then there are a number of passages which are definitions. People often say, but tell us what is integral yoga. Now, you know, Shubhinda doesn't define like that in data books. But in this particular essay, he has a series of short, short pieces. What is integral yoga? What is a partial system of yoga? What is traditional yoga? What is jnana yoga? You will never nowhere find this way Shubhinder speaking. What is Bhakti Yoga? What is Karma Yoga? What is Integral Yoga? What is Supramental Yoga? And what is the Yoga of Transformation? All of them. So, you know, you will see them beautifully arranged. I will read some of these passages. Then there is a fifth set of writing or, yeah, fifth set of writing which are purely, fourth set of writing which are purely revelatory. Very power-packed. And among them there is a unique writing which is the only writing other than Savitri, of course, collected poems, one day mother has read, a passage which mother has read in her own voice and that we all know is the hour of God. 
It is completely revelatory. He is looking at wide space in the future. Someone standing on the, uh, you know, galaxies and looking at the yuga that is unfolding. So much so that the mother gave two messages based on the hour of God. It is the hour of God. Are you ready? That third place he says the hour of it is one of those hours of God when old bases get shaken. Why they get shaken? Because humanity can new create itself. So hour of God, then there is certitude. They are very power packed. There are definitions like what is man? We are talking about definition. What is Parabrahman? What is Mukti? What is Moksha? All of them. We will read those passages. But let me first make a background. So that when we read we can enjoy it. Then of course there is what can be called, I don't like to use that word, but miscellany means there are topics which range from uh, you know, thinking and from there to uh, reforms in Hinduism to beauty of a crow's wings, justice, unification, China and Japan and India, things like that which are such an, and one of them is very powerful, marbles of time. Where, you know, Shivinda describes time sitting and playing marbles, nations are there, flings one nation out. <laughs> if you read it, it is. <laughs> when I had read it first, I was completely shaken. <laughs> so, he is playing with nations like that. Okay, okay, now it's time for this nation to come up. Marbles of time. And then, of course, there are the lovely ones, thoughts and aphorisms, uh, which I have the unique distinction of being commented upon by the mother. So these are the set of writing. It's a must, must read, I feel, for anyone who wants to really um, understand Shurabindo and enjoy, more important than that. So I'll read some of them. One of them is certitudes. Now, here he describes that people often say, no, God is this, God is that. He is nothing. He is everything. He is impersonal. He is personal, suprapersonal. He is a nihil. No, he doesn't exist. Shobindri in one passage reconciles all of them. Certitudes. In the deep, there is a greater deep. In the heights, a greater height. Depends on where you stop. You will have that experience of God. Sooner shall man arrive at the borders of infinity than at the fullness of his own being. For that being is infinity, is God. I aspire to infinite force, infinite knowledge, infinite bliss. Can I attain it? Yes. But the nature of infinity is that it has no end. Say not therefore that I attain it, I become it. Only so can man attain God by becoming God. What a wonderful passage. The only way you can know God is by becoming God. But now you see. But before attaining, he can enter into relations with him. To enter into relations with God is yoga. The highest rapture and the noblest utility. There are relations within the compass of the humanity we have developed. These are called prayer, worship, adoration, sacrifice, thought, faith, science, philosophy. They are ways of relating with God because He alone exists. So when in mathematics you give a concept of infinity... Numbers, the way they combine, patterns, fractals. You are basically trying to understand how God has woven the warp and woof of creation. So in that sense you are trying to enter into relation with him. There are other relations beyond our developed capacity. This humanity has already developed. But within the compass of the humanity we have yet to develop. Those are the relations that are attained by the various practices we usually call yoga. So it differentiates yoga from prayer, worship, science, philosophy, etc. We may not know him as God. See, people fight over belief in God, no belief in God. We may not know him as God. We may know him as nature. So when you say nature is, you know, wonderful nature, there was a book by Lyle Watson on, you know, wonderful nature. You actually end up feeling that the scientist is looking at nature and feels it's a conscious force. He is adoring the Divine Mother without realizing, without using the term. Or our higher self, you may not call him God, you may say our own higher self. Infinity, some ineffable goal. It was so that Buddha approached him, 
so approaches him the rigid advaiti now you see how beautiful it is buddha buddhism and the advaitin they seem to be at you know loggerheads is maybe a too strong a term but when buddha came he is he broke all the vedvad all the karm kand and he didn't indulge into metaphysics and trying to interpret the vedas so he simply said there is a permanent what are the four things of buddha suffering is it real yes sir it is real what is its root desire and ignorance real yes sir real so you want to get out of it you will come out of suffering yes sir so the path is the noble middle path and the eightfold path wonderful that's all he concerned himself god exist or not was not his business so lot of people thought he is avedic but what buddha actually confirmed was the same truth the advaitin says all this is illusion if you are in it you are suffering and come out of this ignorance you will step into the one permanent one without a second the advaitin calls him one without a second ekamev ditya buddha calls him the permanent that's the only difference he doesn't care to call him atma so that's why people say buddha is anatvad why because he said even the idea of self experience of self is still a shadow if you look at it it's very true now in vedantic thought it's called as being beyond being a non being shubhendra described that experience you can't define parbrahman is by nature that so buddha said the same thing is he only said don't call him one or atma nothing because that cannot be defined by any of the things and when people would ask him sir what about philosophy metaphysics is it i am not interested because you will make a religion out of it it's a different thing that buddha has people still made a religion out of buddhism that human beings are experts at because it's so easy to finish spirituality by turning it into fixed and formal religion five times a day sit down anywhere on the road kneel down put your hands up call god <laughs> kabir broke it you know kakad patar jod ke मस्जिद लई बनाए ताचड़ी मुल्ला मांग दे क्या बहरा हुआ खुदा यू नो मेनीसिकली देट इन टू फाइनाइट फॉर्मूलाज फाइनाइट फॉर्मूलाज मे बी नेसेसरी फॉर यू ईच वन मस्ट हैव इज ओन वे बट यू कैंट टर्न इट इन टू अ होल दैट दिस ओनली अप्रोच एक्सक्लूसिव वे ऑफ अप्रोचिंग गॉड सो दैट्स वेयर बुद्धा ब्रोक ऑल दैट Shubhendu goes further. He is accessible even to the atheist. So at one place, Shubhendu in one of the aphorisms says, "Why are you having a quarrel with atheists? After all, if God has decided to conceal Himself from the atheist, who are you to, you know, force Him to believe? Because God is beyond belief and non-belief. Atheism is somebody who doesn't believe in God. So somebody once asked me, 'Sir, very nice talk you have, but you know one.'" girl class 12 but yeah i still remember but i don't believe in god i said don't worry god believes in you so again very sir what does it mean i say okay which god you don't believe in oh a god who punishes and this that i said we are on the same page same boat so what god you believe in sir god should be full of love and compassion i said then what is the problem we believe in the same god now you see we fight over believe in god or not believe in god you become an infidel infidel you become a kafir you have to be converted what is all this not required when the divine has given you the freedom to approach him in his own way to the materialist he disguises himself in matter explore matter you will end up discovering god you will find energy you will enter into quantum worlds you will discover energy you will go beyond energy you will discover consciousness at the end you will discover the same truth for the nihilist he waits ambushed look at the word he waits ambushed in the bosom of annihilation and then he ends up with that phrase from the gita yo yathavam prapadyanti as men approach to me in whatsoever faith so i reveal myself to them now look at this power packed writing moksha what is moksha Oh, Janam Karam ka cycle we have to get rid. No, that's how moksha is described. What is moksha? Look at Shurabindo. Few lines. The pessimists have made moksha synonymous with annihilation or dissolution. Right in the beginning, pessimist. Oh, this sansar. And I, you know, sometimes when you hear, you feel so sorry. I have heard people say, "Oh, this world, it is so so." I said, "By the way, how's your grandson doing?" 
Oh, very nice. And then they will start America, this, that, everything. So, I mean, either you stick on this side or you go on to that side. You talk about moksha and in the same breath, you are so happy with the world, God's grace that, you know, everything is fine. So, you are not even believing in what you are doing, which is worse. You know, this is a deception, hypocrisy. At least the man has the courage, at least has the courage to say, I don't believe in God, but I want to do things better by my own. That's how Vivekananda put it, no? That if you have faith in God, fine. But if you don't have faith in destiny, if you don't have faith in yourself. So somebody had once written a mail complaining, oh, this world, this, that, this problem, that problem, uh, blaming, complaining to God. I said, look here, young man, you have a problem with all these things. Fine. Why are you wasting your energy in complaining to God? Go ahead and cure it by whatever means you have. So he said, huh, that sounds good. I said, do it. Why are you wasting your breath in complaining? Even if God is a monster in your view, leave him aside to rest in peace. You do. If what God could not do, I mean, if you believe that you can do it, do it and you will discover at least. But sitting and complaining and blaming has no meaning. So here he says, reveals that pessimists have made it. But its true meaning is freedom. Mukti. Literally freedom. Freedom means what? He who is free from bondage is free, is mukt. In Savitri, so beautifully, when death says, if you are really such a great being, you want to tie yourself to Satyavan? You call this freedom? She says, what is that freedom which cannot be free within bonds? <laughs> that, what is this conditional freedom that I have to be out of the world to be free? It's conditional. It's not freedom. So here he says, but the last bondage is the passion for liberation itself, which must be renounced before the soul can be perfectly free. And the last knowledge is the realization. Hear these powerful words. And the last knowledge is the realization that there is none bound, <laughs> none desirous of freedom. But the soul is forever and perfectly free. We have chosen to be here. Don't misguide us by saying go this way, that way. When the bungee jumping took place original, we were very enthusiastic. Come, let's go. Let us do asadoma, sadgamiya, yagya. We chose to be here. Why are you misguiding us? We have come for the work. Yes, we must discover the soul within. And when we discover, we realize it is free even in bonds. Outer bonds. That bondage is an illusion and the liberation from bondage is an illusion. Bondage is an illusion in the sense that we give it so much importance, real, real. So we want to run away. And when we run away, we realize that he is saying what the Isha Upanishad says in a more contemporary way. What does the Isha Upanishad say? It says, Andham tama pravishanti Those who are living, think all this is real, are living in darkness. What about those who leave it and go into that light? He says they are they enter into a greater darkness. So what you should do? Vidyancha Vidyancha Yast Saha. Dwell in this multiplicity, but always conscious of oneness. This is the path for man. So he's saying it in this way that this freedom as well as sense of bondage, both are illusion. Not only are we bound, but in play. Not only are we bound, but in play. We have chosen, let's play. Doctor, doctor. No. Let's play relation, relation. So we have bound ourselves. We are, you know, seemingly bound. The mimic knots, mark the words, the mimic knots are of such a nature that we ourselves can at our pleasure undo them. Don't we discover that in real life? How do people suddenly leave something? Be it a relationship, be it a job, anything, and they move ahead? They are not yogis. How have they done it? They are not like, you know, because they realize, they evolve, they go further. Or they may choose, I'll be here but inwardly free. So everything is possible. They are mimic knots. It's so easy to go beyond it. And then there is a beautiful definition, par Brahman. So, parat par Brahman. So he describes it so beautifully. He says that again, don't... Uh, don't say you have realized God. You can become God. You can become one with it. 
So, but to say you have attained, acquired, that's what people sometimes, you know, follow the divine like they are, you know, uh, going to get a result after five years, they will get a certificate. God realized man. So now they can put, oh, I am Swamiji. It doesn't work like God is everything. You keep growing into his infinity and there is no limit to it. So at no point you can say I have attained God. Even if you have attained the highest, still there is a lot of things which are there, which have escaped your embrace. That's why he says to love God, excluding this universe is to give him an intense but narrow and incomplete embrace. It is to give me an intense but an incomplete embrace. Even a God-realized man must embrace this world and discover God. So there is never anything like I have attained. Also because this world is always dynamically moving forward. It, it's not a static universe to say that I have attained God. <laughs> so he says, Now Paratpar Brahman, that is the unknown God to whom no altar can be raised and no worship offered. Now you see, if you just read this part, it looks like Srivindra is an iconoclast. He is talking what Arya Samaj has said. But see the next line, how he synthesizes. That is the unknown God to whom no altar can be raised and no worship offered. Semicolon. Universe is his only altar. Existence is his only worship. <laughs> you see how he changes everything. That we are, feel, think, act or are but do not feel, do not think, do not act is for that enough. To that the saint is equal with the sinner. Blasphemy. Saints must be given a place in heaven. Sinners must be punished. We have heard that. But to him, paras gunav gun nahi dekhat, kanchan karat karo. Activity with inactivity. Man with the mollusk, since all are equally its manifestations. That's why in who he puts it so beautifully. The hand that sent Jupiter spinning through heaven spends all its cunning to fashion a curl. And then at another place when he speaks of Karmi Yoga in this very book, he says that there is nothing great or small in God's eye. And there should be nothing great or small in yours. He spends as much energy in building of a galaxy and an empire as in an atom and a blade of grass. You look at it, it's marvelous. These things at least are true of the Parbrahman and Parpurush, which is the highest that we know and the nearest to the absolute. But what that is behind the veil or how behind the veil it regards itself, and its manifestation is a thing no mind can assume to tell or know. And he is equally ignorant and presumptuous who raises and inscribes to it an altar or who pretends to declare the unknown to those who know that they can know it not. So in Savitri this comes in a semi-humorous way. To the universal in a chapel prayed. You call him universal, but won't you pray him in a chapel or a gurudwara or a mandir or a masjid? He is universal, then you can pray him everywhere. Please, not like in the sadak you will sit road and say, <laughs> this prayer is an inner prayer. With every dealing, you can pray him. That's the prayer. Confuse not thought. Bewilder not the soul of man in its forward march, but turn to the universe and know that in this tadva etata, for so only and in these terms it has set itself out to be known to those who are in the universe. How he wants us to be known? Tadva etata. All this universe is nothing else but he. Be not deceived by ignorance. Be not deceived by knowledge. Just imagine how power-packed these are. This is the same Isha Upanishad. Vidyanch, avidyanch. Be not deceived by ignorance, avidya. Be not deceived by knowledge, vidya. Again he affirms, there is none bound and none free and none seeking freedom, but only God playing at these things in the extended might of his self-conscious being, paramaya, 
Mahimanam Asya, which we call the universe. See, the greatest yogis in India, ancient time, were like that. Till, you know, this sannyas came. When Bhishma is fighting, Bhishma is a yogi, could withdraw his entire consciousness from the arrow points and remain free of pain. Because he knew that art of being outside the body and keeping just a little cord of connection. Otherwise, you can't survive like this. So, Bhishma knows that Krishna is on that side, they are going to win. He declares in so many words. He says, why are you fighting in their side? This is the role given to me. I want to play it well. And he plays it in such a nice way. He says, as long as I am fighting, Karna will not come. I will not kill the Pandavas. But I will kill 5,000 enemies every day. Knowing very well that before I reach the end, Arjuna and Krishna together, they are going to finish. So he is yogi. He knows that this victory is going to be with Krishna. And that's why he conjures a whole thing where, you know, Sri Krishna has to pick up, show him that, you know, Roop. Because he was feeling, ki, what did he say to Arjuna and showed something. I want to capture a little bit of that, but he cannot. The only way was to compel Krishna to be freed from this temporary physical form and show him something of his beauty and grandeur. So he compels Krishna to pick up the Sudarshan Chakra and he says, that's all I wanted. <laughs> this is yoga. This is Jnana Yogi. He knows. He's, I mean, he knows he's playing. It's a play of God. What does it matter? So, and then he says beautifully, there are two paths of yoga. Withdrawal from the universe and perfection in the universe. The first comes by asceticism. The second is affected by tapasya. Here tapasya is not synonymous with asceticism. Tapasya comes from the word tap. It is the concentrated energy of spiritual endeavor. Anything you concentrate, you concentrate the heart on love. On the ultimate source of love, it is tapasya. You may be in the world relating with 100 people, but it becomes tapasya. You leave the world and say that I'll go somewhere and I'll love only God, then that is not tapasya, that is a withdrawal. So he explains all this beautifully. Buddha and Shankara suppose the world to be radically false and miserable. Therefore, escape from the world was to them the only wisdom. But this world is Brahman. The world is God. The world is Satyam. The world is Ananda. Ever read something more powerful? Except that Shirvind Upanishad. Look at it. This world is Brahman. Jagat Satyam Namitya. Why? Because it has come out of Brahman. It's a manifestation of Brahman. This world is God. The world is Satyam. The world is Ananda. So why we are not able to experience? It is our misreading of the world through mental egoism. I will be happy only when my sari is whiter than the other lady's sari. There used to be that advertisement, no? Afrin. Padasi ki sari meri sari se jada safet ki Remember? Long back it used to come. This makes us unhappy. But if we are just happy, oh, there is something, somebody is wearing such a lovely dress. There is ananda in creation. But the moment mental egoism says, I'll be happy only if these, these, these conditions are fulfilled and satisfied. Who created these conditions? Your mind has created these conditions. Tarzan is happy in the jungle. Because Tarzan doesn't know that air conditioned and you know cars and all this exist. He's happy. <laughs> But the mind says to Tarzan, no, Tarzan, you are unhappy. You know, this is what happened with the Christian missionaries. People were happy and growing in their own way. So they went all over Africa, India, oh, Bukhenange, and you know, started giving things, dolls and converting. Now, they lost their natural way of growth. So now you see the entire, um, uh, what has happened to Indian civilization, it has become so much Europeanized. You can't imagine, indigenous systems are gone. Whether it be healing or way of life, it's all gone. Because some people came and saying, no, you are unhappy. Why? Because you don't have the things we have. So it created a kind of mindset. And it's really true that Ananda is something natural. Look at children, even in the slums. 
they have a natural joy doing chapak chapak in the water i don't know i have grown up in uh, not in slum but in small place and i have seen there was so much joy in fact there was much more joy frankly they run into the rain oh it's raining so you just enjoy come back put your feet in mud and come back you climb on trees but now we are civilized people even if i wish i can't climb on the trees it will be news so you know <laughs> so that natural joy has been snatched away and substituted with artificial things now you watch a movie and see a child climbing on trees and you say wow what a movie but <laughs> you could do it so this is the way we have falsified everything that is a falsehood number and our wrong relation with god in the world that is a misery there is no other falsity and no other cause of sorrow man's greatness is not in what he is but in what he makes possible his glory is that he is the closed place and secret workshop of a living labor in which supermanhood is made ready by a divine craftsman what is our greatness to become what we dream but are not yet practical man will say not possible several places he will tell us here man is a transitional being often people say what is new about your bindu this is one of the most i mean no single in there are there are talks about it in western literature tillard de chardin or you take bergson uh, even nietzsche they have spoken about evolution further but in indian thought evolution unfortunately stops with man why because after man it's moksha even kalki avatar is shown as you know a human it's very strange whereas we should logically believe in evolution with the story of dashavatar vedanta is about the inner evolution of the soul through all the transmigration of form transmigration is about evolution but for some reason our thought stopped with man and what does shirbinder say which is new which is not there in the vedanta any literature man is a transitional being just this one half a sentence he is not final he is too imperfect for that too imperfect in capacity for knowledge too imperfect in will and action too imperfect in his turn toward joy and beauty too imperfect in his will for freedom and his instinct for order even if he could perfect himself in his own type his type is too low and small to satisfy the need of the universe so logical so when we complain oh god he made us like this he said yeah but you can become much greater who is preventing you that effort we don't want it's much easier to people think it's easier to exit it's not easy by the way it's very easy to speak of moksha but so to rest in humanity is to rest in imperfection so if one wants to remain human then it's imperfect one has to accept that the perfect man would be a self contented finality of incompleteness can you imagine she been writing so beautifully i mean it's absurd i mean he writes always so beautifully but look at the uh, it's called a very subtle punch what is he saying the perfect man means who is remains perfect within humanity the perfect man would be a self contented finality of incompleteness in savitri puts it like that that immortality for the ignorant man will be a curse so ashwatthama poor fellow he is a curse he is immortal god knows i mean how much he is immortal some people say his immortality you know it was told that he live for 3000 years now he is dead and gone well, whatever it be but immortality for the imperfect man is a curse you will grow old you will carry everybody as pass away people don't even recognize you they will put you in an old age home but you are immortal no doctor will attend on you why because you are immortal nobody will bother about you why because you are immortal why attend to him everybody will get a priority so here he says you will rest in incompleteness that's not what man is meant for now you see he speaks of the different gyan yoga bhakti yoga karma yoga powerful passages gyan yoga the number of passages i'm just picking up few here and there 
I am God is is the first seed of yoga. That there is God, there is a reality. It is Tat Sat of the Vedanta. I am is the second seed. It is so hum of the Upanishads. I am that. There is that without which there is no yoga. There is this creature called I. Second seed. I am a seed from there. I am that. That's Vedanta. Jnana Yoga. God is infinite self-existence, self-conscious force of existence, self-diffused or self-concentrated delight of existence. I too am that infinite self-existence, self-consciousness, self-force, self-delight. This is the double third seed. It is Satchidananda of the worldwide transcendental conclusion of all human thinking. Oh my God, Shurabindu, you are writing so difficult. Well, because he is writing about Jnana. Now you see when he writes about Bhakti, how the tone will change. The integral yoga of devotion proceeds through seven stages, each of which opens out from the one that precedes it. Aspiration and self-consecration, devotion, adoration and worship, love, possession of the whole being and life by the divine, joy of the divine, love and the beauty and sweetness of the divine, the absolute bliss of the absolute. Faith is our first need. Or without faith in the divine, in the existence, in the all-importance of the divine being, there can be no reason to aspire or to consecrate. There are the words that sum up the first state of the yoga of devotion. Faith, worship, obedience. Yoga of devotion, first state. Uh, three are the words, sorry. not Three are the words. Faith, worship, obedience. Three are the words that sum up the second state of the yoga of division. Devotion. Adoration, delight, self-giving. Taking joy in God. Not that, oh my God, I have to read Life Divine. Hari, you are in the company of Shivabindu. I was telling somebody, he says, oh, it's so difficult. I said, just imagine, you are in the company of Shivabindu. Forget whether you understand or not. Wouldn't you like to sit near him and just read it? Why? For the joy of it. Doesn't matter whether you understand or not. He's there. He's a word body. He's sitting there. How beautiful it would be. So that is delight and self-giving when we want to give ourselves to God. Three are the words, words that sum up the supreme state of the yoga of devotion. Love, ecstasy, surrender. How simple it is. Now when he talks of devotion and then this one of my favorites. These are the seven ecstasies of love. You'll find a line in Savitri. Ecstasy 7. What are the 7 ecstasies of love? The ecstasy of the body in the clasp of the lover. This is the first state. See the only picture you have is of Champaklal. Shubhinda embracing him. Most physically. The ecstasy of the life. So um, how can we do it? Of course through yoga. But there are ways and means they have given it. You see, when people go at the samadhi and touch it like this, they are not mad people. They are wise people. You are depriving yourself of the clasp of the lover by standing like this and looking at it like a slab of stone. Some people hold, I remember first time uh, Christmas, first time my Christmas here, as a newly entrant ashram inmate. And I got the lottery. Lottery I got, mother's picture of the childhood. I just couldn't help. I walked all the way from there holding her picture here. And people who must have seen on the way must have thought, what is it he is holding? What is it? Mad fellow. But it was like clasping, clasp of the lover. Carrying Shurabindu's relics from here to uh, Bangalore. All the time people would say, why don't you, uh, you know, go eat something? I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to leave. So somebody literally fed me. I said, I can't leave. And it was the feeling that he is holding us. We are not holding. So this clasp of the lover physically is something very real and concrete. That is the significance even of those little beautiful little gifts that touched by the mother. So clasp of the body. The body in the clasp of the lover. The ecstasy of the life consecrated and self-given to the Lord. When life has no other purpose but to serve the divine. 
the ecstasy of the mind made one in idea and will with the divine consort using the word so is the divine consort so the thoughts ideas will are completely merge and become one with him the ecstasy of the super mind united with mind and body and enjoying the bliss of difference where you are receiving all that you have become like god and yet you are keeping a little the bliss of difference the ecstasy of the soul in the pure bliss of the beatific beatific the ecstasy of the spirit united in consciousness and force with the universal the ecstasy of the pure being absolute and one with the transcendent then he speaks of karma yoga do not imagine that works are in their nature nothing but a bondage they can be a powerful means towards liberation and divine perfection all depends on the spirit in our works and the orientation toward the inner and the higher light away from desire and ego summarizes in one sentence works are a bondage when they are done out of desire or for the sake of the ego it doesn't matter what work it may be ashram work anywhere but when done by the desire and the ego they are a bondage by a mind turned outwards all the time seeing things outwardly involved in the act and not detached and free bound to the ignorance of this lower nature when we act like this they become a bondage the progressive surrender of our ignorant personal will and its merger into a greater divine or on the highest summits greatest supreme will is the whole secret of karma yoga and then he gives number of then he comes to what is integral yoga it is the way of a complete god realization a complete self realization a complete fulfillment of our being and consciousness a complete transformation of our nature and this implies a complete perfection of life here and not only a return to an eternal perfection elsewhere supramental yoga the aim of the ordinary yoga is to liberate the soul from nature our aim is to liberate both soul and nature into the divine so beautifully summarized not only soul from nature but our nature mind life body everything must be liberated and arrive at its own fullness so this yoga is about fulfillment not annulment supramental yoga oh my god so much we have to read you know you have to read all supramental yoga no we don't want to use the word look at what shrivindu writes the first word of the supramental yoga people want to say i must first at least get silence of mind then only i can do supramental yoga look at it the first word of the supramental yoga is surrender its last word also is surrender that time the divine mother has not yet come later on he has used a word the mother's yoga this you won't find in the essays many of them are 19 13 11 12 13 so he doesn't use the word some of them extend up to 19 19 later on he has coined the word mother's yoga made it even simpler it is by a will to give oneself to the eternal divine for perfection for transformation that the yoga begins it is in the entire giving that it culminates as simple as that then yoga of transformation it defines our yoga is a yoga of transformation but a transformation of the whole consciousness and the whole nature from the top to the bottom people sometimes ask are you realized being you look like one you don't look like one all kinds of things so once i asked how do you know by the way that who is a realized being you have to be a realized being to know somebody is a realized being or not but look here what shurbindo reveals to us something which may shock the puritans traditionalist it is neither an ethical change nor a religious conversion lot of puja somebody is doing over see is a transformed person very ethical he staunchly practices non violence he has said that non violence is the highest virtue so in all conditions he practices so neither ethical nor religious 
neither sainthood. So don't become a little saint in this yoga. Mother says, what will I do with little saints? <laughs> she doesn't want plenty of saints in the world. Neither sainthood nor ascetic control. So there was a man who was here for 40 years. There was a people who would not look here, close their eyes and walk. There was a yogi, his name was Radhananda. So he would walk like Because if he sees, he may get distracted. So there were these girls who are now big people. They would have fun. They would put their feet, stretch on his path. So because he was not seeing, he would trip over. <laughs> you see. <laughs> so there are people like ascetic control. So there was a person who after many years, I forget the number of years, he went away from here. And Niruddha asked he he looked like a perfect image of saint. You know, sometimes people, if you have grown a beard and you are sitting on a chair in front and you know, if you can utter slokas, you are saint. First of all, saint has no business. Saints can be happy in their sainthood cell. Shubindu described sainthood's brilliant shell because other parts are untouched. So they have an ascetic control. He says, yes, he had some mental control. But mental control, you know, can break down any time. So he says, what, sir? Is it? He says, yes, don't you know the story of Yudhishthir <laughs> in the Mahabharata? Mentally controlled person. But he didn't understand what an average man understands, that you can't put your wife on stake. You can't even put your kingdom because nothing is yours, frankly speaking. But he put it. So one can lose that. So it is not ascetic control. Neither is sublimation nor is suppression of the life and vital movements that we envisage. Nor is it either a glorification or a coercive control or rejection of the physical and physical existence. Sir, please tell us what it is <laughs> we thought all. What is envisaged is a change from a lesser to a greater. Everything that you do is part of the supramental manifestation. Even somebody asks, sir, cooking, can it be supramental? He said, why not? If you still need to cook, there can be a supramental cooking. Isn't it Jagannath Puri? Cooking is done by Mother Lakshmi. So he says, everything from a lower to a higher, from a surf, from a surface to a deeper consciousness, indeed to the largest, highest, deepest possible, and a total change and revolution of the whole being in its stuff and mass and every detail into that yet unrealized diviner nature of existence. That's why we see, you know. When Shirobindo speaks of, uh, uh, in Savitri there is a line, our smallest parts have room for deepest needs. Smallest parts. Another place he says, all in us desires the absolute. Each part in us desires the absolute. Then he says, the boon that we have asked from the Supreme is the greatest that the earth can ask from the highest. The change that is most difficult to realize, the most exacting in its condition. And at the end he says, Self-surrender to the divine and infinite mother. This before the mother has physically come. Self-surrender to the divine and infinite mother, however difficult, remains our only effective means. Surrender is not easy. We want to stick and hold on to our ideas, opinions, ways of life, everything that we, but we say we have surrendered to the mother like that child who told mother, mother last time we have finished surrender, now tell us something else. Mother said, oh you have finished surrender. It's a lifetime sadhana. Self-surrender to the divine and infinite mother However difficult remains our only effective means and our sole abiding refuge. Ultimately, this is what you have to fall back upon. And you have to start with this and carry with this. Self-surrender to her means that our nature must be an instrument in her hands. The soul a child in the arms of the mother. How beautifully. Soul Child in the arms of the mother, that's your identity. 
देन ऑल दिस यू नो पांडे जी हैं डॉक्टर साहब हैं इट इल अपियर फॉरन टू यू आई रिमेंबर यू नो समी सेट वींग कमांड आई सर हु इज दिस गाय बिकॉज इट जस्ट गोज अवे यू कांट कनेक्ट विद इट सम पीपल राइट आलोक पांडे जी आई जस्ट कांट कनेक्ट हु इज दिस आलोक पांडे बट आई कांट बी यू नो टेल द पर्सन यू नो आई डोंट नो एनी पांडे डाइड लॉन्ग बैक पांडे चीज रिबॉन समेरस इट गोज अवे यू कांट आइडेंटिफाई विद योर सर नेम योर पेरेंट एज ऑल दीज थिंग्स इवन दिस सम पीपल डोंट अंडरस्टैंड नो से दे कम भाभी जी कैसी है साउंड सो फॉरन टू यू विच भाभी जी आपके बच्चे कैसे इट्स ऑल गॉन इट यू जस्ट कांट रिलेट विद एनी ऑफ दीज थिंग्स बिकॉज इट्स ऑल गॉन बट पीपल आर लाइक दैट नो दे कांट अंडरस्टैंड एंड इफ यू टेल दैम दैट यू नो कौन भाभी जी की बात ओ अच्छा देन दे विल ड्रॉ देर ओन कंक्लूजन सो बेस्ट इज टू रिमेन क्वाइट एंड से सब अच्छे हैं इट इज इक्वली ट्रू ऑफ भाभी जी बिकॉज यू नो इट ड्रॉप्स अवे यू जस्ट कांट हेल्प इट ऑल दीज आइडेंटिटीज गो अवे and what is the identity that remains deep inside child of the mother it's so beautiful to be that what about nature your life your works just to be an instrument of the divine mother where on the battlefield six hour of ashram work no in everything in breath and speech and act and relating with people eating food everywhere knowingly unknowingly one becomes an instrument of the divine mother so we can another one more small little passage if we would understand god we must renounce our egoistic and ignorant human standards or else ennoble and universalize them then there are the series of thoughts and aphorisms <laughs> i mean a dilemma maybe 5 minutes we can run through it look at it they are very interesting पीपल से कहा है भगवान ये देखो वो था ना दीवार में डायलॉग कहा हो तुम वेर वेर यू वेन समबडी वॉज राइटिंग मेरा बाप चोर है यू नो दैट हाइपर सेंटिमेंटल स्टफ एंड पीपल टेक ग्रेट सी गोविंद बिकॉज ए गुड मैन डाइज एंड फेल्स और फेल्स एंड द ईविल लिव्स एंड ट्राइम्फ इज देयर फॉर गॉड ईविल क्वेश्चन मार्क I do not see the logic of the consequence. This is so wonderful. I must first be convinced that death and failure are evil. I sometimes think that when they come, they are our supreme momentary good, but we are the fools of our hearts and nerves, and argue that what they do not like or desire must, of course, be an evil. So logical. And then, of course, number of them. then people believe in you know daridra seva this is a new concept na aapke ashram mein koi orphanage hai ki nahi free hospital hai ki nahi help the poor while the poor are with thee but study also and strive that there may be no poor for thy assistance and this one about the old indian social idea brahmanism shudrud how beautifully in one passage the old indian social ideal demanded of the priest voluntary simplicity of life purity learning and the gratuitous instruction of the community voluntary of the prince war government protection of the weak and the giving up of his life in the battlefield of the merchant trade gain and return of his gains to the community by free giving of the serf Labor for the rest and material havings. Now you see people say, but Shudra. Now what does he write? In atonement for his serfhood, it spared him the tax of self-denial of the Brahmin, the tax of blood of the Shatriya, and the tax of his riches of the Vaishya. So this is how the order was maintained. It was not the way it is projected. poets makes much of death and external afflictions but the only tragedies are the soul's failures and the only epic man's triumphant ascent towards godhead 
there is always something abnormal and eccentric about men of genius. And why not? For genius itself is an abnormal birth and out of man's ordinary center, eccentric. And then he says, genius is nature's first attempt to liberate the imprisoned God out of her human mold. These are the ones which are called vibhutis in India. Outside they are called genius. The mold has to suffer in the process. It is astonishing that the cracks are so few and unimportant. <laughs> Only Shurabindo with his master humor can put it like this. Nature sometimes gets into a fury with her own resistance. Then she damages the brain in order to free the inspiration. Coolidge. For in this effort, the equilibrium of the average material brain is a chief opponent. Pass over the madness of such and profit by the inspiration. When somebody asked about greatness and vices, he, he said, yes, great men have vices. In fact, at one place he says, great men have great vices. Then he says, Shakespeare stole dear. Napoleon was a drunk and debauch. Now, but because there is abundance energy and it doesn't know how to flow in channels. So, that's what happens in transformed people. People who are not transformed, but they, they are vibhutis. The saint and the angel are not the only divinities, admire also the titan and the giant. You see, in the Gita, Krishna tells, you know, Karna, how well he is fighting. <laughs> you see, Duryodhana, manna padega yodha hai. <laughs> so, this is to break our mold of thinking, which thinks, uh, you know, in a linear way, in an exclusive manner. Mother says these thoughts and aphorisms, most of them 1913. They started getting published in Arya's series of 7-7. They were written before 1930 in a diary. And the mother says they were a period when Shubhinda was passing from the mind to the super mind. So there is a shock element in them. And he says these youngsters here, she says when she is interpreting, they don't understand Shubhinda's sense of humor. When he writes it, they cannot understand. Because it's like a shock, reversal, complete of thinking. Now you look at it. The old writings call the titans the elder gods. So they still are, nor is any god entirely divine, unless there is hidden in him also a titan. Now I am resisting all temptation to go into it. We will do thoughts and aphorism once thoroughly. But this just to get a taste. What about virtues? Courage and love are the only indispensable virtues. Even if all the others are eclipsed or fall asleep, these two will save the soul alive. Not reading books, scriptures, ability to give discourses, courage and love. So what about sin, sir? We have heard so much sin. Meanness and selfishness are the only sins that I find it difficult to pardon. Can you imagine? The Lord is saying, meanness and selfishness are the only sins. Yet, they alone are almost universal. <laughs> Therefore, these also must not be hated in others, but in ourselves annihilated. The new creation, Superman, will be, to think in selfish terms will be impossible for the beings of the new creation. The world has had only half a dozen successful revolutions and most even of these were very like failures. Yet it is by great and noble failures that humanity advances. One of the classical ones is, one is the Trojan bar itself and the crucifixion of Christ. Atheism is a necessary protest against the wickedness of the churches and the narrowness of creeds. God uses it as a stone to smash these soiled card houses. <laughs> Imagine. That's what has happened in Europe. Because of atheism, the churches have become empty, so they don't know what to do with it. So the Pope has said, there is a country where, you know, people have devotion and faith. Plant their Christianity under the name, he is like your Krishna, like your Shiva, like Gopala, good shepherd. So, you know, people will, because they have gone empty. See, the leftist thought, the wave that came over Europe. How much hatred and stupidity men succeed in packing up decorously and labeling religion? 
think about it and the final one is a plenty but i am just resisting god guides best when he tempts worst <laughs> jaws will drop we thought the titan is tempting us or the god guides best when he tempts worst loves entirely when he punishes cruelly helps perfectly when violently he opposes if god did not take upon himself the burden of tempting men the world would very soon go to perdition and then he explains suffer yourself to be tempted within so that you may exhaust in the struggle your downward propensities plenty of them i believe thoughts and aphorisms are a must read they are unique in the distinction also apart from mind to supermind that they are the ones which have been commented by the mother almost entirely maybe some are um, not commented i don't know but i think the entire set was read but i may be mistaken in that and that commentary is available in collected works of the mother volume 10 there are some not every aphorism she has commented but after three four she has commented some of them are very small some of them are long commentaries but if one wants to thoroughly enjoy divine humor and power packed punches that will just get in a literally mind blowing if you want to use the word then i would say thoughts and aphorisms are divine mind blowing thank you namaste